Welcome again as we are continuing our study through Paul's letter to the Philippians, Joyful Together. And if you want to grab your Bible and open up to Philippians chapter 3, page 981 in the Pew Bible, we are uh, continuing through that section. And last week we looked at Paul's uh, kind of anti-biography, as it were. He's, he laid out his, his resume, his credentials, all of the things that he thought he could stake his claim on, that he could build his confidence in. And then he realizes how it was all just a foundation of shifting sand. And today we're going to look more closely at um, where his true confidence lies and our true confidence lies and how he unpacks the consequences of our knowing Christ. So before we do, let me say a word of prayer and we'll dig in. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, for this day, this Pentecost Sunday, for the giving of your Holy Spirit as each of us have received in baptism. And we pray, O oh Lord, um, that as you have given us life, that we might be life givers to others. Lord, breathe your life-giving breath on us as we study your word this morning. We pray that it would vivify us more and more to bear your spirit for the life of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Philippians 3, and I'm going to pick up with verse 7. I want to read through um, the next few verses that I hope to cover this morning. Um, as we've done each week, to kind of listen to the whole chunk before we double back and go through it more closely. So I'm starting with verse 7, and we're going to read up through verse 16. Paul writes this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so Paul, having last week in the passage we looked at, laid out his, his anti-resume. Here he sets out where his true confidence is found. And then he gives us a really engaging, powerful metaphor for thinking about the life of faith. But first, with verses 7 through 11, Paul sets out what we might say is the consequences of knowing Christ. The consequences of knowing Christ. And he's, he's going to give at least four of these consequences to what difference it makes that we know Christ. Before I get into those four things, I should just say a word about what, what he means here by talking about to know Christ. So when we talk about knowing, we tend to have a very kind of intellectual way of, of imagining that. To know something is to know about it. But there's different kinds of knowing. And I've uh, mentioned before in our Bible study how in the German language, for instance, they have multiple words for know. So you have wissen, which is to know uh, cognitively, intellectually, the way that you know facts and figures. But then there's kennen, 
which is a more relational kind of knowing. It's when you are an experiential knowing. It's not only a knowing about, but it's knowing through that kind of firsthand experience. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, um, the Hebrew word for to know is the word yada. If you've ever heard that expression, yada, 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 it's like, I know, I know, I know, okay? Yada means to know. And it has the same sense of not just being an, uh, a mind trip, something you know about, but it's a relational thing. And you can illustrate that easily, for instance, in how the Old Testament says that, uh, say, Adam knew his, knew his wife and she conceived, okay? Not going to say any more about that, but suffice it to say, when they talk about know there, it doesn't just mean that he knew about her. You can catch my drift? Knowing has this deep, profound, experiential, relational sense in addition to being something you know about. I want to bring that to, to mind as we look here and Paul is setting out the consequences of him knowing Christ. Because when he talks about knowing Christ, he doesn't just mean that he passed confirmation class. Okay? He means that he has this profound relationship of faith. And that's what he wants to lead us to as well. Okay, so what, what are the consequences then of this knowing Christ? Well, the first one according to Paul, is that your assets become liabilities. Your assets become liabilities. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's looking back on all those things that we mentioned last week, how he was born on the eighth day to the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, uh, faultless, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, that he was a persecutor of the church. All of those things that he had counted as assets right, that he had put in that column, now he says, oh, wait a second, I, it, those are liabilities. And they're liabilities in the sense that, we talked about this a little bit last week, they are things that could actually pull him away from Christ. And you remember why we said that is. Because those things that we view as being our, our strongest strengths can in fact be the things on which we think, okay, I can build my confidence on that. So that if you're really smart, all right, smart, smart people have this temptation to think, well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm smart, so I know I'll always be able to get out of any situation, and you start to rely on your smarts. Certainly this happens when, when you are well-to-do, when you're plenty wealthy, and the bank account is full, and you, you know, the stocks are going well, whatever, you think, well, nothing can touch me because I've got plenty of assets, literally, right? Um, and this can go in many different areas of life where our assets or perceived assets can become liabilities if they become the basis of our confidence rather than Christ. And so Paul says in the most unequivocal terms possible, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Knowing Jesus, that changes everything. Okay? So that's the, that's the first consequence to this knowing Christ. Things that we thought were assets might become liabilities. But that is not to say, then, that the smart person should act as though they're dumb or that the wealthy person should, you know, pretend like they don't have or just give it all away. Well, they should give it all away. Never mind. Um, what I'm trying to say is um, it doesn't mean that these things are bad in themselves. It's that they become bad when they become the, the source or the foundation of our confidence. You with me? And so um, Paul is really rhetorically trying to make this point as strong as possible. But of course, Paul himself was a man of great learning. He didn't disown all of his learning. 
and suddenly you know, just say, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna act like an idiot. Um, but instead, he, so to speak, baptized that learning to now a deeper knowing of Christ. See? Okay, any thoughts or, or comments about that or how assets can become liabilities? Hey, I like that. They're the things that can weigh you down when you try to take a leap of faith. I'm reminded of one more. Let me give you one more example, which is kind of a funny one. But my college roommate was uh, a gentleman named Israel Vasquez. And Israel Vasquez was devastatingly handsome. I'd have random girls coming to our dorm room, and they would knock on the door, and they would say, is Israel here? Yeah, he's over here. And Israel would just peek his head out and say, Hi, and they would giggle and run away. Okay, this was Israel, um, but uh, you know he was he was a Christian. He was a, a a guy of faith, and I remember him telling me once how it really was. It was a stumbling block for him because it you know it gave him this big head about how handsome he was and everything. Not to mention the extra temptations that were thrown his way because of that. And he recognized that was what, what was one of his greatest assets could also become. A liability. I said to share that with you. I, it still makes me laugh to this day, thinking of those freshman girls coming around. Is Israel here? Yes, he's here. Anyway, the second one, the second consequence of knowing Christ, Paul says, is that all else stinks in comparison. All else stinks in comparison. And I use that word uh, purposefully because he says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this is a, a preacher's commonplace, but it still is worth bringing out. It's that the, the Greek word that Paul uses there for that's translated rubbish is the word skubala. Skubala, you can't help it. Skubala. And what is skubala? Skubala is the dung heap. Okay? Skubala is the stuff that we hope to put on the garden, right? Uh, Skubala is that manure. He's saying, all, everything I had before, it stinks. See, this is what it's like. It's just, it's the dung heap. He's going as, as far as he can. There used to be this sketch on, on Saturday Night Live. It kind of fits with the sermon. Uh, Mike Myers was like the Scottish character. He'd say, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. This is kind of what, pardon my French, um, but, uh, or Scottish as the case may be. Um, this is, this is kind of what Paul's saying here, is like, look, if this is not of Christ, if it's not incorporated into our life of faith, then it's, it's scubala. It's for the dung heap. It's, it's worthless, ultimately. Uh, that can be a hard word to hear. You think of the rich young ruler, for instance, who, you know, when Jesus said, to, called him to, to follow him, the rich young ruler, you remember what his reaction was? He's sad. He's sad. Because, you know, uh, uh, as we heard back there, the, uh, his, all of those things that he was carrying kept him from taking the leap of faith, right? Um, that can very much be the case. It doesn't have to be. But Paul challenges us to have this perspective, to recognize that knowing Christ, from that perspective, everything else stinks in comparison. The third consequence to knowing Christ, he says, is that righteousness is a gift rather than an achievement. Righteousness is a gift rather than an achievement. So he goes on and says uh, in verse 9, going back to verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I think the simplest way to kind of picture this is just in that kind of the movement of uh, going up versus going down. Because Paul was thinking about all of his, he, he mentions all of his good works, all of those human achievements as well as just his inheritance. It had become a kind of Tower of Babel, right? You remember the story of the Tower of Babel. When the people were going to take all of the bricks, they realized, oh, we can make bricks, we can make a tower all the way up to heaven. And this is what pride looks like. It's that building up, climbing higher and higher. Paul's saying, with all of my achievements, it's like I was building this Tower of Babel through, through my own power, climbing up higher and higher. But then God comes around and mercifully <laughs> knocks it all down. Not like a bully on the seashore knocking down your sandcastle, but he, he, he destroys those things that uh, would get between us and him. As Paul says, now, instead of me climbing up to God, I recognize that God comes down to me. That my righteousness, my right standing before God, is not my achievement of climbing up to him, but it's this reception, that I've, something I receive from him as he comes down to me. See, This is the real uh, paradigm shift, if you will. This is the inversion of all things that Paul is recognizing here. That to live by faith is not to be climbing, climbing, climbing. Uh, it's to be receiving, receiving, receiving. Right? God pouring everything out. And then one fourth, a fourth thing then of this consequence of knowing Christ, and the last one to mention here is, so we talked about how assets become liabilities, but the reverse can also be true. That liabilities become assets. Paul says in verse 11, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul now looks at what anybody would say would be the greatest liability, the suffering that he's gone through in life. And he says, no, actually, that's an asset. And why is that? Because it helps me to know Christ. It helps me to know Christ. I had a man in my last parish who was a, um, uh, an immigrant from Mexico, and he had lived a, a very poor, impoverished life growing up. Uh, but he, he talked about how his family, when they would go to worship, he grew up Roman Catholic, when they would go to Mass on Sunday, and he would, uh, having gone through a really difficult life, uh, week and, and struggling and um, wondering where's the next meal going to come from and just all of these difficult circumstances. But he would come to worship on Sunday, come to Mass, and he would see the crucifix. He would see Jesus hung on the cross there. And seeing him, he knew that all of his sufferings, all the things that he went through throughout the week, that they weren't for nothing. See, That they uh, had all been drawing him closer to Jesus in his suffering. And I think that's the perspective that Paul wants us to have, to view those things that we would otherwise look at as liabilities to say, this is something that can actually draw me closer to Christ. It's not always easy to recognize, right? We've, we've talked about this before, how God can take those things, whether it be the, the most trying circumstances, things, whether it be hereditary stuff or just something that happened in your life, but he uses it, right? 
He always uses it to draw us near to himself. The bottom line here for Paul is that Jesus is worth it. He's saying, look, you you might have all kinds of achievements, you might have all kinds of of liabilities, but whatever it is, everything is worth it. The all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That causes everything else to pale in comparison. Okay, but let me pause there for reflections or, or questions on these first few verses. As Paul's setting out, look, this is the difference that it makes knowing Jesus and how it really transforms the way that that we view the world. Any other thoughts or questions, reflections on those first few verses? Okay. Let's turn to the second half of the passage here, verses 12 through 16. As Paul's going to pivot just a little bit and give an engaging metaphor for the life of faith. So starting verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, so anybody in here, did you ever, were you ever a runner or cross country or a marathon? Anybody in here ever run a marathon? Looking around, you're like, uh, no. Every day is a marathon. What's that? Couch potato. Couch potato. Okay, sometimes just the, from the couch to the fridge. Dun, 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 dun. I'm not a runner either, as often said, unless something is chasing me which yesterday we had one block from uh, coming over here. I'm not going to name names, but uh, we had two different dogs come. Ch- I'm, I'm walking the dogs, and then I see this pit bull lab mix run at me. Like, you know how a bunny hops, and it's like two legs at a time? That's how this dog was running. So fast, bearing down on me and Theo and Juno. And what can I do? My mind just went back to Jurassic Park, they say he can't see you if you don't move okay so i was like okay we'll just stay here and he comes up you know jaws bared but then he just came and licked the dogs i was like oh thank god and then we had another one a little bit later come after us and that one i was like all right let's just get out of here anyway why do i mention that i don't like to run unless i've got something chasing after me but paul paul uses this metaphor this image of the of a race and this is one he he returns to more than once he talks about the life of faith as a race as a marathon um, thinking about it as that kind of of long distance run and drawing out from from that analogy he's able to to make a few points about the life of faith as we kind of unpack this a little bit so first of all paul is saying it is finished but i'm not finished it is finished, but I'm not finished. So you might remember that great Greek word, tetelestai, which Jesus speaks on the cross, which means it is finished. Okay, It's done, completed, salvation, forgiveness, redemption has been taken care of. Tetelestai, it's finished. Interestingly, Paul uses the same word here, he said, uh, except it says tetelemai, which means I am finished, except he negates it and says, I am not finished. <laughs> but it's translated, I am not perfect. It is finished, but I'm not finished yet. In other words, salvation is taken care of, 
I'm forgiven, I'm freed, I'm justified, but God's still working on me, see? He's, he's not finished with his work on me, not until the day when Jesus comes again or when I die, see? He is going to keep going at it on me. And this is helpful. He's, he's picturing it in terms of, you know, in terms of the race, in terms of an athlete who, you know, the worst thing that can happen for an athlete is to say, I've arrived, right? Worst thing that can happen is to, to think, okay, I don't need to get any better. I have achieved all, all that I could achieve, and so you know, I'll, just, I'll just quit practicing and take it easy. But for the best athletes, they have to continually be striving to get better, to improve, to challenge themselves. And Paul's saying this is what the, this is what the life of faith is like. Because while it is finished, I'm not finished. And so I'm not going to say that I already am, but instead that God is continuing to work on me. Right? I'm, I continue uh, to press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And here's where the racing metaphor is kind of interesting. Because the second thing Paul's telling us here is, look, the outcome is already assured. Okay? The race is fixed. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right? It's as though we were like running the race and then Jesus runs up alongside you. He's like, hey, don't sweat it. You're going to win. What? I don't feel like I'm going to win. He's like, I got it taken care of. All right? It's no big deal. Come, follow me. See? This is the promise that we have in the life of faith, is that already Christ Jesus has the victory. Already he has given that victory to you and me. That outcome is assured. And because of that, he says, that's why I press on. Not in order to merit or to achieve that standing with God, but because I already have it. It flows from that gratitude to God for what he has done. See? So Paul continues with the, this racing metaphor. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now this is kind of interesting. He says, one thing I do, I'm forgetting. Now, many times in the Bible, it talks about remembering, the importance of remember. Think of the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Many times, God is, uh, admonishes his people to remember, remember, remember. Paul says, eh, I forget. When is forgetting important? When, when is forgetting a, a necessary aspect to the life of faith? We all think of when remembering is important, but when... When do you need to forget? And why does Paul talk about forgetting here, do you think? Yeah, Esther. When uh, it's important to forget all the things that Christ has forgiven you. Oh, that's very well put. It's important to forget all the things that Christ has forgiven you for. That can be hard to do, right? We talk about forgiving and forgetting, I guess. And even though we are forgiven by Christ, still sometimes... We can be haunted by past sins. Actually, I mentioned in the sermon today, and we, we sing his hymn, Martin Franzman. And Martin Franzman has a, a lovely little poem. I don't have it memorized, but if you're interested, I could share it with you afterwards. But it's entitled, To Forget Past Sins. It's the name of the poem, To Forget Past Sins. Because sometimes those things that continue to haunt us and come after us, we're called to forget. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it says 
Exactly, that's right. Ah, I like that. Esther says, the Bible says, I think it's in Micah or Malachi, that God casts all our sins into the heart of the sea. And then in the approved Esther version, he puts a no fishing sign. That's really good, Esther. I'm going to use that. Uh, but it's true. He says, look, these are buried, okay? I, it's, it's for God to raise dead corpses and to make them into living beings. It's not for us to dig up those things and to bring them back, to exhume those sins that have already been buried. Are there any other thoughts on when forgetting can be a, a vital aspect to faith? Not just remembering what forgetting. Yeah. And being and all these things. And these things don't make any difference here. It's like, I'm, I'm going to put those things out of my mind. Yeah. I'm going to turn around and focus on Christ. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those things that he had been, again, those things that he had perceived as assets. Now he's like, I need to, I need to forget those. They're in the past. Okay? What's past is past. Um, and I think here, again, the... Um, the analogy, the athletic analogy, is really appropriate because think about how important this is for athletes, right? And you guys know I'm a big baseball fan, a big Tigers fan, especially in baseball where they've got so many games, right? You have to be able to forget. You have to be able to forget. And, you know, I think Ted Williams famously said that in baseball, even the best players only succeed three times out of ten, right? And the failure is baked right into it. And honestly, that's what life is like. That's why baseball is such a good sport for kids to learn because it just it teaches them you fail, you forget about it, you move on. Okay? Failure is part of it, but it's also part of the growth. So forget what lies behind, press on. So that's the, and that's the fourth thing is Paul says, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the prize to set before us what we are yet awaiting with the coming of our Lord Jesus, with the redemption of our bodies, with the renewing of all things. I still haven't done it yet, nor has Anne, but we've both threatened to get a tattoo. And uh, the tattoo would be um, a motto from uh, one of my favorite professors who's going to be a, a dean at camp this summer, a guy by the name of Jeff Gibbs. And uh, Dr. Gibbs, Jeff Gibbs, would ha had a framed in a picture, I, I've probably preached on this before, but he had framed in a picture on his wall in his office two words, perhaps today, perhaps today. You hear me say this a lot. Perhaps today, meaning perhaps today Jesus will return. We don't know. No one knows the day or the hour. It could be any time. Perhaps today he will return. I see some clouds out there. He's coming with clouds. Perhaps today. Hopefully we get to have the party first, but even if not, We'll have an even greater party when our Lord Jesus returns. Keep your eye on the prize. How can we keep our eyes fixed on that future hope? It's so easy to just get you know, buried in the muddle of you know, all of the, the present, all the things that are happening right now. I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to those things, but to keep our eye on the prize and to look forward to our future hope. Look, the bottom line, the takeaway, as Paul sets it out for us here, is that faith is a marathon that you've already won. Faith is a marathon that you've already won. Already Jesus ran the race for us, and now he calls us to follow him, but with that assurance, 
He already has the victory. And so he's saying to you and me, not that, I, not that I've already attained it. It is finished. I'm not finished. And so I'm going to keep striving. I'm going to keep reaching and, and straining ahead. I'm going to be forgetting my failures. But most of all, I'm going to be looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, the one who I know has the victory already. Okay, we're going to have to stop there. A little bit of a truncated um, Bible study today with uh, everything going on. But um, next week, we'll pick up with uh, the latter half of Philippians 3. Just wanted to remind you guys again, too, on June 12th, Pastor Finke will be coming. At, well, actually, that whole weekend, he'll be preaching on that Sunday. I'll be here, too, of course. But uh, on Saturday, June 12th, all-day um, seminar workshop from 9 to 3. And so I hope you've got that on your calendar. Even if you can't come for the whole day, but want to come for part of it, it's going to be a really good time. So I want to encourage you all to attend that. Okay, thanks very much for your time and attention. God be with you.